0: Well, good morning, everyone. I have such gratitude today. It's good to be home. Um, I'm thankful to our worship team for worshiping in song. And now let's worship in the Word, shall we? Our scripture passage today will be found in the book of Acts, chapter 2. I invite you to get your copy of God's Word and begin to turn there now. This book, written by Luke, tells a story This book of Acts of the early church, it tells the story of the progress of the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're going to look there in just a moment as we look at the doctrine of the church today in a message I've entitled, Why Church? I don't take it for granted that you've come to church on this Lord's Day. Everybody in this room had a decision to make this morning. Do I get up? Do I roll out of bed? Do I get ready? Do I come to church? You've decided to come. And I am grateful. I want you to know that I don't take that for granted. I'm very grateful that you're here. It reminds me of the guy that was laying in his bed Sunday morning, and his wife said, Are you going to church this morning? He said, no, I'm not. She said, well, why? He said, well, I'm tired. It's gloomy outside. It's rainy. It's cold. I just think I'm going to stay in this bed. And besides, I've decided that I don't like those people up at that church very much. And I don't think they like me much either. And besides, you can't give me three good reasons Why I should go. And his wife said, oh, yes, I can. Here's the first reason. Going to church will be good for you. Second, is that a little honor God. And number three, you're the pastor of that church. (laughs) You need to get up and go. You know what the truth is, beloved church? If we're honest, the truth is, is every single one of us have Sunday mornings where we don't feel like getting out of bed. I won't ask for a show of hands. You might be surprised who raises them. We're faced with a decision. Do we go or do we not go? And I want you to know this morning that I value the fact that you are here. I'm grateful for the choice that you made on this Sunday. As I was preparing for the sermon, I read an article in a publication called The Atlantic. It was published last July, July of 23, and the title was, The Misunderstood Reason That Millions of Americans Have Stopped Going to Church. It was written by a fellow named Jake Metter, and he said this. He said, nearly everyone I grew up with in my childhood church in Lincoln, Nebraska, is no longer Christian. That's not unusual. 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the past 25 years. That's something like 12% of the population, and it represents the largest concentrated change in church attendance in American history. Then he went on to say this, it'll be on your screen. As a Christian, I feel this shift acutely. My wife and I wonder whether the institutions and communities that have helped us preserve in our own faith will exist, still exist for our four children, let alone whatever grandkids. We might have one day 1937 the gallup poll began to ask this question of americans every year are you a member of a house of worship and in 1937 73 percent of americans said yes and for the next six decades that trend that percentage stayed about the same but beginning in 2000 there was a precipitous drop from 73% for those six decades now to two years ago, it's fewer than half. Fewer than half. They've said, no, I'm not a member. I'm not connected in any way. The statement of theology survey that we've used for this series asked, made a statement, and, and the person, the this, this, uh, responder was to respond, do you agree or not agree? And Here was the statement. Every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. But what was surprising is that only 36% of Americans agreed with that statement. And that means that most Americans deem church membership as optional for Christians. This information tells me that every Sunday, every Sunday morning all over Hutto, all over the country, people ask the question, why church? why is it important today? Should I be involved? Should I go? Should I be invested? And unfortunately, most Americans have reached a different conclusion than you and I. I want to ask you this question. I'd like to see a show of hands. How many of you know someone personally, whether it's a friend or a family member who used to participate in church regularly, But now they're no longer involved or they no longer attend church. May I see your hands? Yeah, it was very similar to the early service, about 90%. So we know that the Jake Metter story, we know that the Gallup poll, we know that the State of Theology Survey squares with our reality. And some church leaders look at this data and they're in full panic mode with, based on these realities. And some of those leaders ask the question, well, what should we do? Do, I need to, do we need to change the message? Do we need to add smoke and mirrors? Do we need to do something to be more attractional? Do we need to trim our values? Do we need to dumb down some of the things we're doing? Do we need this? Some are saying, do we need that? And I've looked at these trends. I know our pastor has as well. And as concerning as they are, and I know I speak for Bobby, I promise you we are not in full panic mode. Not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. And the reason we're not in full panic mode is what Christ said. And I've learned that the church should not take its cues from culture. We should take our cues from Christ Jesus. And he's made it clear what the future of the church is. Here's what he said. Look at this on the screen. He said, maybe you remember these words, I, singular, possessive, will build my singular, possessive church. And when Christ made this statement, there was no church. No one even knew what He was speaking about. In fact, it's the very first time that the word church appears in Scripture. Christ is speaking prophetically about something that's yet to come. And that word, the root word for church, ekklesia, simply means called out once. Called out. Jesus goes on to say, after He says, I'll build my church, He says, and the gates of of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you know what that means? The church may have some difficult days, it has, all throughout history. There may be some seasons in the valley for the church. Maybe a while before the church gets back to the mountaintop. But the church, beloved, don't miss this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ will ultimately be victorious. And for any of you here this morning are considering this question, am I going to be invested and committed to my local church? And by the way, we invite you I just have to say that the biblical answer for you is clear. It's clear. If you love Jesus, if you say you love Jesus this morning, if you're one of the called out ones, you need to love the church. I didn't hear many amens on that. I think I need to do a slide that says amen right here. If you follow Jesus, you should be invested, you should be committed, you should be involved in His church. The Scripture says it this way, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He said, strive to excel in building up the church. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, don't neglect to meet together. We need each other. And we need to be together in the church. Amen? So on this day, this milestone day in the life of the expression of the church of Jesus Christ that we call Huddo Bible, in this day as we break ground for our new home for ministry, I want to share a message with you that outlines why church is important, what the church should be about. So we're in the book of Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verse 36. Luke says, "Let all the house of Israel, this is Peter talking, preaching that glorious sermon on the day of Pentecost, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, this Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified." Now, that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's us. For all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. I'm convinced that as Peter's speaking these words, he remembers those words that Jesus said about the church, the called out ones. Verse 40, and with many other words, he, Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation much like our climate, right? So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what's happening here? It's the day of Pentecost. Fifty days since the crucifixion of Christ, his glorious his burial, his glorious resurrection. Christ has appeared to his followers, more than 500 people. He's, he's ascended into heaven now Peter is preaching this sermon to this massive crowd of people that's gathered in Jerusalem. It's the high holy days. So Jews would come from all over the world, and, and many believe that there was at least half a million people there in Jerusalem, Jews from all over the known world, maybe more than that. Peter preached the gospel to them. He convinced them from scripture that Jesus was the Lord, he was the Christ, and they were cut to the heart. There were supernatural things happening. When the Holy Spirit came, if you remember, there were tongues of fire. They were speaking in they were hearing the gospel in their own language. Can you imagine what that was like? And they heard the power of the gospel. And they ask, what should we do? And then Peter says, repent. Repent of your sin. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And so the church of Jesus Christ is born. It's birthed. And I'm reminded that the Lord uses Peter. And I'm I'm also reminded that when Jesus made that statement I referred to earlier, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter was there too. In fact, Christ had asked his followers, his guys, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. (laughs) He got it. And then upon that statement, Jesus makes his statement. I'm going to build my church. So Peter was there. He heard that. But something happened to him between that time and this time. Those of you that know his story know that he denied Christ. At the moment I'm sure in Peter's mind that he thought he needed me the most. Peter was no coward. He gets a bad rap, but he just did stuff that we probably would have done too, if we'll we're, if we're be honest, right? He denies him. He sees the glorious evidence of Christ's resurrection. He's there. But what we see in his life is after that happens, we see Peter going back to Galilee because he was going to go back to his old way of life. And I'm convinced he was his thought was how could God ever use me again? I denied Christ when the moment counted. He thought he was done. But Jesus comes and makes him breakfast by the seashore. Do you need Jesus to come make breakfast in your life? I know I did. I'm so glad that when I needed restoration, he was there. And if there's any of you in this room today that believes a lie from your enemy who desires to steal from you and kill you and destroy you, if you believe you can't be restored and used in a mighty way, it's a lie from hell. If Jesus could restore Peter, he can restore you. And look what God uses this man just days before. Christ restores him, and he preaches this amazing sermon and lets us know it's not about the preacher, amen? It's about the Christ. This next segment of Scripture we'll read describes the life of this new church in a way that it's intended to be a paradigm. It's intended to be a model, a a pattern for us. I'll read the paragraph, and then I want to give you five things that God expects His church to be devoted to And then some things that we'll see that we should experience and feel as the Spirit of God moves within us. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of reading God's Word, and I'll begin in verse 42. And they devoted themselves, that means continued steadfastly, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, tending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this is an amazing description of life in this first church and its pattern for what The church ought to be. And here's the first thing if you're a note taker. It's the number one in your notes. Here's the first thing that God expects the church to be devoted to. And it's this. It's teaching and learning the truth of God's word. That's the first thing the church is to be devoted to. You see it in verse 42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, where do we find the apostles' teaching today? We find it in the New Testament, do we not? We find it in the Bible, and we see that this first church was both truth-based, not only the New Testament, what the apostles had experienced, who God, through the Holy Spirit, anointed, but also the Old Testament. That's why we don't unhitch from the Old Testament around how to Bible. It's the whole counsel of God. That's what they were devoted to. And this early church was Christ-based. He was the cornerstone. He was the author. It's possessive singular. It was his church, and that early church got that. God will primarily use Scripture to teach us in our lives, to mature us, to grow us in Christ's likeness So the very first thing, the first thing, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be devoted to is the teaching and learning about the truth of God's Word and God's people said, amen. It's first. Here's the second thing. Life together with other believers in the body of Christ. You see that in verse 42, where it says, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The word there in the Greek is kononia, and it simply means, the root word means common. What they had in common. What did this church, this early church, have in common? The life they shared. I want you to watch this, beloved. Please, please don't miss this. What they had in common wasn't their Gender. What they had in common wasn't their race. What they had in common was not their ethnicity or their educational background or their financial status. What they had in common was Christ Jesus. That was the common element. That was the thing that defined this community. It was based on Christ, Jesus as Lord. As I look across this room today, I see Multiple generations, I see different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different stories. And how can we do life together? How is that possible? And why? Why is that possible? It's because we're bound together in Christ. We're bound together in Him. We're governed by God's Word. Here's the third thing. That God expects the church to be devoted to. We teach, we have teaching and learning, we have life together, and now it's worshiping together. You see that at the end of verse 42 when it says the breaking of bread, what that likely means is the Lord's table. This early church was devoted to that, they were having the Lord's supper often in their homes, to the prayers. They prayed together. And then down in verse 47, it said, praising God, they sung together, Zach. There's a saying. I didn't pass English very well, so. And so I don't know about you, but my heart was moved this morning by our worship and song. When I gathered together with my church family. Listen, church, if you come not as a watcher, but a worshiper. Don't come as a, worshiper, a watcher. Come as a worshiper. And there's a difference. If you come here because it's a duty or obligation, or, or you feel it's another box that you need to check, you need to show up to church, or your girlfriend or wife or whatever thinks you should come, don't do it. But if you're coming out of a sense of delight, If you're coming anticipating, and I shared that with a couple today, anticipating an encounter with the living God. It reminds me of what King David wrote in the psalm when he said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. If you'll come not as a watcher, But if you'll come as a worshiper where you will engage with the Lord through every part of our service, if you will engage with Him, it will produce change in your life from the inside out. And when we do that together, wow, there's power unleashed. Here's the fourth thing. Caring for and serving one another as we have needs. Do you see that? It's in verse 45, they sold their possessions and belongings and they distributed to those that had needs. So in the church, we pay attention to each other. We love one another. We care for one another. We ask, how's it going with one another? We say, can I help meet that need? for one another, that kind of caring and serving. That's the kind of care that my wife and I have received in these last months. I want to tell you, this is a prayer card that we receive every week from our prayer team. Even when I'm gone, the U.S. Postal Service will show me a picture of my incoming mail And when I see these little cards, I know this church cares for us. We should care for one another financially, emotionally, spiritually. Here's the fifth thing God expects the church to be devoted to verbally sharing the gospel so that others might be saved. See that in verse 47 they were the the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Well how did that happen? It happened because those that had experienced the life transforming effect of the gospel were telling others about it. Why? Because it made it it's it's good news. Amen. Have we gotten so desensitized that we forget that many of those around us have never heard? So what this early church was doing as they were telling people about this Lord and Messiah, that their sin debt had been forgiven, that they could repent of their sins and worship Him as Lord and Savior, believe in Him, receive the Holy Spirit, their eternal home would be in heaven. They would have life abundantly right then. No wonder people were being added day to day. Maybe this is the musings of an old man. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, church, if the Lord wills, In the days ahead, he's going to send many people to us. And we have the obligation, the opportunity to share that good news with him so that many may be saved. Listen, church, I don't know everything that might happen in our changing culture. I don't know everything that might happen in this country that we all love. We live in dire days, do we not? But we know this from God's Word. We know what He expects from His church. So let's embrace that, shall we? And If God's church is devoted to those things, those five things, what should we expect to experience or to see or to feel? Well, here's the first thing. We should expect to feel and see awe in the presence of God. Have you ever experienced God's awe when we have reverential worship and fear of Him, wonder? Has God ever done awesome things in your life? By the way, the word awesome should be reserved only for Him. When we call people awesome, we better be careful. When we call people the king, we better really be careful. There's one king. And it's not LeBron James. Okay? Second thing we should experience is life transformation. It means that people are healed. They're restored. Marriages are put back together. It means that God transforms us sometimes immediately, but sometimes it's over time as He sees fit. Life transformation. The third thing is joy. We see joy here, joy that's not contingent upon our circumstance. It's transcendent of that. It's a joy of the Lord that comes from knowing what He's accomplished, what the Lord has done through Christ. We can be joyful in spite of circumstance. And the last thing is generosity. This church, this early church met with glad and generous hearts And when you're surrounded by generous people, you just feel it, don't you? It's inviting. It's warm. It's winsome. So here's my ask today and the challenges. Here's number one. It's the most important one. When Peter preached the gospel that day, many of those hearers, in fact, 3,000 of them, were cut to the heart. You've heard the gospel today. And the power of God is not in the preacher. <laughs> it's in the gospel. That's scripture. Maybe you've experienced what some of those hearers experienced. You're, you've are you been cut to the heart today. My, our invitation to you is today is your day <laughs> for salvation. The Baptist in me wants to just stop and do an invitation right now. But, you know, it's it's not... <laughs> You can be part of the church, the ecclesia. You can be part of the called out ones. Christ may be calling you right now. So my invitation to you, my ask of you is today, as the service ends, you can share with one of us. We would love to journey with you through that process. I want to share with you that you're not a passenger on this voyage with us. You're a fully functioning crew member, or you should be. As I said earlier, being committed to a local church is not optional for a follower of Jesus. So here's a couple questions I want you to consider. Are you fully committed to Christ today? And secondly, are you fully committed to the church? Big C. You can find the local expression. We'd love to have you here. If you have your bulletin, Janine did a section, and I love it. It's called Sermon Application. If you guys have your bulletin, I want to draw your attention there for a few moments. She gives opportunities. She wrote, she asked the question, I love it, ready to take the next step? I love that. Because there's some next steps up op- open to you. You're not a passenger. Okay. She broke it down into categories, and those categories tie into your sermon notes. For those various points I gave, I tied those things in. Discipleship, maturity, membership, evangelism, or missions, service, ministry, giving. There's options there. I invite you to stop being a watcher and start being a worshiper. I've got a great amen corner right there. Get plugged in. Get committed. I don't say that just... Have you guys... You've known me for five years. Have I ever tried to guilt you in anything? This is because I love you. We love you. We know this is best for you. Christ came and established His church for us. That's another time for amen. One example is those ladies that meet on Tuesday at the various homes. Sometimes they meet in the Albert's home, other places. First of all, I can't explain to you. I don't want to become a emotional. I want to tell you, I cannot express adequately what, what this means. It's can And I will tell you this. The, transa- the business that's transacted before the throne of God on those Tuesdays is probably incalculable you know what I notice when I see these names? First of all, I don't see any men there, and that chap's my rear end, to be honest with you. (laughs) Come on, dudes. Let's go. Including me. (laughs) There's all kinds of places to plug in, folks. If you're not a member, you've been a frequent attender, hey, Pastor Trey's heart is to see you grow in discipleship and maturity. To join our church. And the last thing I will talk about before I close is money. And so you go say, I wonder when he was going to get to that. <laughs> I share this with you with as much veracity as a sinful, dark heart can muster. That I echo the words of the Apostle Paul when he was writing to the church at Philippi. And he loved that church, didn't he, Bobby? He loved that church. They were with him. And he told him, he said, I don't seek the money from you. And by the way, the the real reality here is that most of the people that attend our church don't give. And I don't say that to condemn you. I don't say that as a, I just, I I point that out because I love you. Look, the principle of giving to the Lord, even though it's been abused in many sets and circumstances, it doesn't change the principle. You can never outgive God. He's calling us to invest in every way, including financially. And by the way, is it not his anyway? And when we understand that investing financially in this church, this is good soil. This is good soil. And that investment, the Lord will return in amazing fashion in your life. And what I can say, echoing the words of Paul, is that we don't desire your gift. We desire the fruit that increases to your account. That's what we desire. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, that's our prayer today for those in here that don't know you, that they could understand as you're calling them out today, that they would respond to that in that glorious fashion, that the grace could be applied to their life. I pray these things in the most amazing name ever uttered on earth, the name of Jesus. Amen.